You have your Bibles open to Psalm 23, and here's why. If this is your first time here, we're at the end of a conversation we're having, and the conversation we're having is looking at the book of Psalms, which, by the way, is the biggest book in your Bible. And uh, we just said this, it's a big old song book, so to speak. We like to call it God's playlist for your life, but we have spent five weeks, one Psalm, Psalm 23. And we spent five weeks there because we said, what if this psalm played over and over and over again in our hearts and our mind? What might happen? Because there's some powerful things in that psalm. And each week, we've begun the same way. We've begun the same way by reading Psalm 23 out loud. And so I figured the last week, we oughtn't veer from that course. So why don't you join me? Let's read this together out loud. You ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me. You anoint my head with all. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Extremely familiar psalm. In fact, most of you have heard it more than likely. Some of you have seen it on a plaque, all that stuff. Here's all we've said by way of review. We said because it's so familiar, it's dangerous. I think it's a very dangerous psalm because people know it, they repeat it, they say it like a poem to be said at certain times of their life, particularly hard times. But we never take the time because it's so familiar to dive in and say, what is that talking about? What, what does it mean? What's underneath of all that? And not only is it dangerous, but it's very distorted. I think it's one of the most distorted psalms It's distorted because people have misapplied it, misappropriated it, as though it is a psalm to be applied to everybody in all situations, in all circumstances of life, and it's not. In fact, we've said it this way, you can't understand Psalm 23 unless you grab a hold of and experience embrace certain things. First, you'll never understand Psalm 23 unless you understand that we, you, all of us are like sheep. We all like sheep, not flattering, right? But we're all like sheep, and because we're like sheep, here's what we said, You, me, we all need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. So therefore, that's why I think Psalm 23 is so famous, so comforting to people because when we realize we're like sheep, right? We kind of go astray. We don't make great decisions all the time. We get dirty, not try to clean ourselves. We need a shepherd. And so the Lord is my shepherd is comforting. Here's what leaves us unsettled. Some of us it left unsettled when I first said it. And that is this, the Lord is not everybody's shepherd. I said, the Lord wants to be everybody's shepherd, but he's not everybody's shepherd. He'll never be my shepherd until I realize that first and foremost, the Lord became the lamb that Psalm 22 talks about, right before Psalm 23. The Lord will never be my shepherd until I realize that when Jesus died, he is the shepherd who became the sacrificial lamb, died in my place for my sin. That's what these people were saying. We say yes to Jesus as the only one who can take away my sins, forgive me. He's the only one who can save me from my sins. But we said, the Lord will never be my shepherd till I make the shepherd my Lord. He wants control of my life. So he's my savior, he's my Lord. And then when the Lord becomes my shepherd, here's what happens. He makes me lie down in these green pastures, leads me beside quiet waters. My shepherd wants me to have rest. Then he refreshes my soul, he restores my soul. My shepherd, Jesus, wants me to find refreshment and restoration from the things that suck the life out of me, namely guilt and greed. 
And then we said, he refreshes my soul and then he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's like my shepherd wants my mind to be renewed. But then something interesting happens in the psalm. says, even though I walk through the dark valleys and you will, I will, you have, I have, we all do. They're inevitable, they're unpredictable. He says, I don't fear evil. Why? Because you are with me. It's in the darkest of valleys where intimacy is found. When you get to Psalm 23, David in verse four stops talking about God and he starts talking to God. Because when I go through the dark valleys of life, that's where intimacy is experienced. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they bring me comfort. What's he saying there? He said, it's in the dark valleys where my faith is built and where hope becomes real. Let me just say it this way. Hope's easy to talk about when everything's going well. It just is. That's just a fact, right? I can talk about hope all day long, but when things are tough, bam, when all of a sudden that smashes against the reality of my life, that's when hope becomes real. What is this hope that I have? And then he says, e, then, then this, even though I walk through this, I'm not going to fear evil. You're with me. And then he says, it's you, you, shepherd, God, you prepare this table for me in the presence of my enemies. And we just admitted and acknowledged something, and you all agreed with me that we're here last week, that we have people in our life who hate us, hurt us, and have it out for us. We just do, or we have, or we are. And he says, in the presence of those people that came to our mind, you prepare a table. Why does he say that? Because many times the way we deal with our hurt doesn't help. Running from my hurt doesn't help. Rehearsing my hurt or revenging my hurt changes me, contaminates me. So here's what he says. I got this table, it's in the presence of those people. Who? Those people who hurt you, hate you, have it out for you. I want you to sit down at this table. Sit down, they hate me. Yes, sit down. What's he saying? You sit down, you let me settle the score. I probably can do a better job. You let me heal your hurt. You sit here with me, Jesus says. Let me heal your hurt. You let me fill your life. And then it's as though David wants to end this song in verse six, which is the only verse we're gonna look at today with a roar of confidence. Do you see what he says? He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's kind of like David is saying, all these things are true and because the Lord is my shepherd, I can walk with confidence into life. I can walk with this certainty into life. Why is that important? Why is it important for him to end this way? I want you to write this down because you know this to be true. But the uncertainty of my life and your life can, and I would say it this way, can and does cause fear and worry. Some of you are sitting here today and and the uncertainty of your life is the very thing that's causing worry and fear, anxiety in your life this moment. The fear of tomorrow, the fear of what's gonna happen because you're not sure. Some of us are sitting here like, I'm not sure, will I have a job? I'm not sure, will I ever find a spouse? I'm not sure, will I get the diagnosis this week when I go to the doctor that I really don't want? And some of us in this room, if we were honest, like that's me, right? I have tons of fear, I have tons of worry, I have tons of anxiety because can we just be honest? Life can be uncertain, like none of us knows how this week is gonna play out. And, and for some of us, we get paralyzed in the world of what if, right? What if this happens and what if that happens and what if they do that and what if she goes here and what if somebody here? And we live paralyzed sometimes in the middle of a world of what ifs and it's in the middle of this uncertainty that David, the guy writing Psalm 23 says this. Look at the first word in Psalm 23, 6. He says, surely. 
Now, what in the world does that word mean? Well, this part of your Bible is written in Hebrew. You can forget that other than impress your friends with that. But that word means this. With absolute confidence, I know this. Even though life is uncertain, there are certain things that I can be certain about, is what he's saying. I think he's saying this, that even though life is uncertain, I can face the uncertainty of my life with certainty. He's saying, even though I can count on the fact that my life surely is going to be uncertain, I can face life with a surely certainty, is what he's saying. And here's what he says. He's like, even though life is uncertain, there's several things I can be certain of. Look at what he says. He says, surely, I know this to be true. All the days of my life, your goodness is going to follow me. Look here, I don't think all of what I'm going to say is going to be easy to swallow, by the way. Can we just get that out of the way? So it's just better for us to be honest and true and real, okay? But he says, here's what I can count on that tomorrow, this week might be uncertain, but I can be sure that his, who's his? The shepherd, that God's goodness is gonna follow me. That word follow is a little anemic and vanilla to us. Here's what he's saying. He's saying God's goodness is gonna trail me, chase me, pursue me. That's interesting. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, surely, I'm certain, stay with me, that only good things are going to happen to me. Don't say that, does he? He doesn't say, surely, I'm going to feel good about everything that happens to me, does he? Doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, surely, I'm going to think everything's good. He doesn't say that. He says, surely, I can know beyond shadow of a doubt, even though it's uncertain what's going to happen. Maybe I wouldn't script it that way. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. He says, surely, I know your goodness is going to trail me. How can he say that? How in the world can David say that? Here's how he can say it. I want you to write this down because he knew something, and that's this. God is good and will work good for me. That's the only way he can say it. It starts with the fact that he was confident, listen close, confident, not that tomorrow everything was gonna happen the way I would want it to happen, but he was confident in the one that he was following, that God is good. And so because I'm confident in that, even though this path may go like this, I'm confident he's good, and so his goodness is gonna trail me. You see, David was very, very confident that God was good. In fact, Psalm 25, verse 8, look at what he says about God. He says, good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 34, 8 says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Why is that important? Look here, I just want to talk to you for a second. I've been talking to people all morning, so I just need to talk to you. Because I don't know some of your stories, and so I don't know some of you where your starting point with God is, but my guess is we're all over the board That's my guess. That the place that we start and think about God is varied. And here's what I know. The majority of us or many of us, what we do is we attach our picture of God to our picture of our Father. And for some of us, that ain't good news. And so therefore, some of us, our starting point this morning is that we have a picture of God that he's distant and disconnected. You know why? Because that's the way our dad was. For some of us, our starting point, our picture of God is that he's not great at communicating with me because our dad never shared anything of meaning with us. 
For some of us, our starting point with God is we're pretty sure God's an angry God. You know why? Because our dad was angry. And for others of us, and maybe this is you this morning, our starting point, the picture we have of God is this, that he only shows up when I screw up. He's the dad who mom said, wait till your dad gets home. And he only got involved when things were a mess. And there are some of you, and I've talked to people, and I talk to people all the time like this, that that is their picture of God. That's where they start with God, that he's a God who shows up when I mess up. He gets involved when things are bad, and that's it. And what David is saying is this, and, and, and I wish I could rewind and unwind some of our experiences with our fathers. I wish I could do that, can't do that. But what David is saying is don't lay that over on your picture of God. You got to start by understanding that the shepherd, that God is good. That he is a, a God who is good and knows what is good. And it's only, listen, It's only when I understand that, it's only when I embrace that, it's only when I believe that, that a particular verse in the Bible that gets misused, misapplied, and abused begins to pop. You see, there is a verse in the Bible, and I will tell you as a pastor that it actually frustrates me sometimes that it gets misused, misapplied, and abused because it is a powerful verse. But the reason it gets misapplied and abused is that people don't read the verse in its zip code. They don't read the verses around it. And so sometimes people will take this verse when people go through a hard time and they'll grab it like a Band-Aid in their back pocket and bam, and they'll apply it to every situation and walk away. And yet this verse has a zip code that makes it pop. It's found in Romans 8. In Romans 8, it begins in verse 26, and here's what it says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Look here a second, I just need to talk. Even followers of Christ will experience times of weakness, hardship, suffering, times that are tough. If you're reading a book, listening to somebody telling you different, they're not being honest with what God's word says. That may be hard news to swallow, But this is Paul writing this. And he says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. In fact, there are times where we're so weak. He says, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Like sometimes life, the uncertainty of life, the unpredictability knocks us on our can. Sometimes it rocks the boat. It creates times where we're confused. We can't understand. Things feel awful. Everything's awry. And I don't even know how to pray. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. It's like, I don't even know what to talk to God about. Like, I don't got some prayer to pull out of my pocket. I don't know anything to say. I'm not even sure what to say. I'm not even sure what I should say. And he says, don't worry, because Holy Spirit prays for us. With groanings that cannot be expressed in words, like sometimes there's just no words. It's like, you got to start there and realize, man, I thought when I became a follower of Christ, everything's good, everything's going to be great, there's blessings from on high, and this, that, and the other. It's like, listen, there are tough times, there are uncertain times, there are unpredictable times. Holy Spirit prays, Father, who knows our hearts, knows what the Spirit's saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And that's the context in which verse 28, which many times gets misused. And we know, and we know. That's Paul's way of saying, surely, surely, right? 
He's saying, I, with confidence, I know that God, which God? The good God, the God who is good, the God who knows what's good, that God, the God who is my shepherd. And we know that that God, listen close, causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Listen close, look at what it doesn't say. He doesn't say, and we know that God causes everything to turn out good. He doesn't say, every situation is gonna be good. It's not what he says. What he says is that that God, the good God, the God who is good, knows what's good, he causes everything. What's everything? Oh, the good things, the celebrations, the victories, and the things that you still can't get your head around, the things that are hard, the things that stink, the things there are no answers for, the things that cause confusion. He causes everything all those things to work together for good. It's like this stew that he's putting this and that, and it's not like every individual ingredient is gonna feel good, look good, but he's causing everything to work for good. Why? Because his goodness is chasing us. And it says that it's not just for everybody. Like Romans 8.28 is not just to be plastered on everybody's hard situation, but it's for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for those who recognize the Lord as their shepherd. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. What good is he working? What's the good that's chasing me? Listen close. The good that's chasing me is that I become like the one I'm following, the shepherd. That's the good. I I know this, that sometimes I look at my life and I'm like, you know what would be good, God? (laughs) It'd be good if I prayed for a new car and I got a new car, right? It'd be good if I lost my job if they offered it back to me. That would be good. And yet here's the deal. He's like, yeah, okay, that might be good and I get what you're saying, but I'm causing everything to work together and maybe it doesn't work out that way. For the good and the good is this, I want you to become more and more like the shepherd, like Jesus. Reminds me of a, a uh, story some of you have heard. It's a story that is in ancient literature. In fact, it's ancient literature that some of you have read. Some of you are like, wow, I'm not much into that, but it's found in ancient Hebrew literature in a book called Genesis. And there's a guy, a 17-year-old, 17 years old. He's the same age as some of y'all, 17. He ticked his brothers off one day. And if you read the story in Yada, it would have ticked me off too. And his brothers all got mad and here's what they did. They threw him in a cistern, in a well. And they're like, they're gonna try to make up some story and all of a sudden this caravan of foreigners go by and they're like, playing hatched. We're gonna sell him to these foreigners. Sell him into slavery and so they got some money for their brother. Made up a story that he had died. All of a sudden, 17-year-old Joseph, his name, finds himself in Egypt. I can tell you this. If you had got Joseph and said, hey, how do you think and want your life to turn out? That's not how he would have written it. (laughs) You know, I hope when I'm 17, I'm far away from family and everything familiar to me as a slave. But that's where he finds himself. And if you read his story, this is what you'll find every time. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. If you don't know his story, it kind of goes like this. He gets there and it's like, well, the Lord's with me. I'm gonna work my way up. I'm gonna make the best of this. So he gets a pretty good job. 
And then his boss's wife falsely accuses him of trying to rape her. That's a bad, bad day. He finds himself in prison. All of a sudden, he's in prison. He's like, well, that's okay. Lord's with me. I'm going to make the most of it. He begins kind of working around things in prison, and all of a sudden, it doesn't take long for him to realize he's totally forgotten in prison, totally ignored in prison. It's not until, listen close, look here a second, 13, say that out loud with me, 13, not weeks, not months, 13 years. 13 years later, when he's 30 years old, that he finds himself in a different situation where he now is in a position of power and authority. They placed him in that position because he was used to save many lives in the middle of a famine that at the age of 30, this 17-year-old boy found standing in front of him wanting food, guess who? His brothers. Now, I don't know about you, but I can think of all kinds of things I might have said to them at that moment. And yet, Joseph said this in Genesis chapter 50. Don't you be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Look here a second. This is where I struggle. I don't know about you, but I want to sit in the seat of God. I want to figure out what's good. God, it would be good if you did this. I want to sit in the seat of God. Joseph said, no. God can sit in that seat. And he said to his brothers, am I God? I'm not going to sit in that seat. And then he says this, y'all intended to harm me, and they did. He said, but God intended it for good. The God who causes everything to work for the good, to do what? To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then y'all don't need to be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What was he sure of? He was sure that God was good and that God's goodness was chasing him. And so he could look at his brothers and say, listen, I never would have written it up this way. I would have chosen a different script. I would never have chosen what I've experienced the last 13 years. But because I believe that God's goodness is chasing me, I can look at you and tell you this, that even though you intended this, God meant this and he worked it for this. Not everything in those 13 years was fun, felt good. In fact, it was pretty miserable. You see, David says this, I can walk with confidence the rest of the days of my life because surely I know God's goodness is chasing me, but he doesn't stop there. Look at what he says, verse 6. He says, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. Now, Here's the way it says in the King James Version, surely goodness and mercy. How many of you grew up learning it this way or you've heard it that way, okay? That's the way I grew up learning it. Now, I don't know, I'm curious, but I was confused as a little kid because here's the way I learned it, surely goodness and mercy, okay? So I thought there were three things that were gonna follow me, surely goodness and mercy. Now, I'm not kidding you, I'm being as honest. Like, I won't tell you how old I was till I figured out that wasn't what it was saying, but it wasn't that long ago. But anyways, I thought there was three things. So I'm like, I got goodness and mercy, but I'm like, what in the world, surely? And I didn't realize what that was until about nine years ago when I came to work here at Norton Campus. And my secretary's name is Shirley, and she's been following me around all the days of my life, keeping my life straight. But, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, surely goodness and mercy. And some of us grew up learning it that way, and that's fine. Remember it that way. But my only concern is that word mercy in our, it, it's not flavored with enough bite. Because when he says, 
mercy, which NIV translates love, the Hebrew word, you can forget, but here's what it means. A covenant, steadfast, unchanging love and loyalty, not going anywhere kind of love. And he says, I am confident that your love, that God, the shepherd, your love is chasing me. It's tailing me. It's like a shadow I can't get away from. It reminds me of what Paul says in in Romans 8. Just look at the screen. Let's read it. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, life, angels, demons, present or future, any powers, neither height nor death, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what he's saying. Listen close. And we got to make, some of you need to hear this this morning. He's saying nothing, even the worst you can think of, can separate, if Jesus is my shepherd, can separate me from his love. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm secure. I'm secure in God's unfailing love for me. He said, I can live secure in that. That's why surely the rest of the days of my life, I can be confident that God's love is chasing me. I wanna take you, I wanna go down in the deep end. We'll pop back up in a second. But, but I want you to wrap your head around this because some of you this morning, I think need to hear this. He's saying, God's love for me is unchanging, it's unfailing, and it's chasing me. Here's what we know about God. Think about this. God is eternal. Okay? God is eternal. Not only that, First John in the Bible says God is love. So if God is eternal and God is love, that means for eternity, this God who is love has existed in love. Here's what that means. For those who are following Jesus as the shepherd of their life, God, you ready? ready? Has loved me forever. You're like, what? Forever. In fact, Ephesians 1 says it this way. Well, praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ even before he made the world, God loved us. And Romans 8 tells me that God has loved me forever and God will love me forever. There's nothing that can separate me from his love. And then the Bible tells us this, that God's not only eternal but, and that God is love, but God is unchanging. He's unchanging. What does that tell me? That tells me that this eternal God who is love is unchanging. That means he has a love that is unfailing, unconditional. Listen close. That means this. There is nothing this morning, some of you need to hear this, that you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing this morning that you can do to make God love you less. Nothing. You see, here's what he's saying. He says, God's love that's chasing me. It's God's love that's pursuing me. It's God's love that's after me. I am not loved by God because I'm beautiful. I'm beautiful because I'm loved by God. Here's why this matters. Because some of you in the room, some of you, maybe you didn't know that. You even grew up in church. 
you grew up in church and you've kept all the rules and you were taught about a God who if you keep the rules, go to church, stay squeaky clean, maybe if I do the right things, God will love me more. And so here's the way you live your life. You live your life chasing God's love. I just want him to love me and so I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna do all this kind of stuff so that God loves me more. And yet what David wants you to know is, no, no, you don't need to chase God's love. You need to follow the shepherd because Jesus makes it really clear how God feels about you and it's his love that's chasing you. In fact, you can write it down this way. It totally changes the way you and I live our life. It means that you and I can live from his love. We don't need to live for his love. I can live from the fact that God loves me. I can serve others, not so God loves me more, but I can serve others because I'm loved by God. I can be kind to others, not so, man, I hope God loves me. I hope God's happy with me. I hope God's okay with me. I can, I can love others, be kind to others because I'm loved by God. Guys, it changes everything in terms of how we see God. But here's what's really important. The fact of the matter is, as a follower of Christ, you're gonna screw up, I'm gonna screw up. Can I get one amen in the room? You are, you will. And here's the deal. When you and I mess up, you know what our tendency is? Our tendency is when we mess up, when we got something that's wrong, is to run from God. And here's what he says. He says, surely your goodness and your love will chase me. And when I sin, I don't need to run from love, but I can let love catch me, wrap its arms around me. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sin, he's faithful, he's just, he will forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You see, for some of you, you are so dog tired from trying to chase God's love. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. If Jesus is my shepherd, if Jesus is my shepherd, you don't got to live for his love. You can live from his love. It totally changes the paradigm. What's interesting is he says, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And look what it says. And then we're done. Then we're done. And then he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's he saying here? He's saying this. He's saying simply this. I want you to write it this way. He's saying the best is yet to come. He's saying the best is yet to come. If the Lord is my shepherd, then heaven is my home. That's what he's saying. Can I just say this? This is not as good as it gets. If, if, if this is our best life right now and forever, we're in deep weeds. Anybody agree with me? We're in deep weeds. But he's saying for the follower of Jesus, if the Lord's my shepherd, heaven's our home. The best is yet to come. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we'll have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. So he says, then we're confident, surely, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we're confident and we'd rather be away from these bodies and be home with the Lord. Here's what he's saying, okay? And then we're done. Here's what he's saying. Life is full of uncertainties, but there is something that's certain. You know what that is? 
your life is going to come to an end. And he's simply saying this, that I can't live with confidence all the days of my life until I've settled with confidence that day at the end of my life. Well, how in the world do I do that? Well, he said, you and I can know for sure. First John 5 says, these things are written so that you may know you have eternal life. That's what it means to say yes to Jesus. Well, how in the world do I settle that day? Should I go to church more? Should I do good things? Should I yada, yada, yada? You fill in the blanks. And you say, no, 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 no. It's about who you trust. It's about who you love. It's about saying yes to Jesus as the only one who can save you from your sins and the only one who can lead your life. And here's the deal. You ready? I want you to stay with me just for a few minutes, okay? What in the world's heaven like? What in the world's heaven like? It's an interesting question, isn't it? And I want to make you look at Psalm 23 different than maybe you've ever looked at it before because I think heaven might be a little bit like Psalm 23, perfectly experienced. Let me tell you what I mean. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. 1 Peter 5 says, the great shepherd Jesus is going to return for those who've trusted Christ. Heaven's going to be me standing face to face with the great shepherd Jesus. Psalm 23 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He wants rest for me. Hebrews chapter 4 says that there is a special perfect rest that God has prepared for those who are followers of Christ. It's heaven. He said he restores my soul. Revelation 21 says that heaven is a place where there's no sorrow, no sin, no death, no crying. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 1 Corinthians 13 says that heaven is a place where even though right now I see incompletely, heaven is a place where all of a sudden I'm like, oh wow, who knew? And I see completely. And that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is certain that I will come to the end of days, even though I walk through that valley in that day, I don't need to fear evil. You know why? Because if Jesus is my shepherd, I know the moment I die, I face to face him with Christ. And then it says, you prepare this table for me in the presence of my enemies. Revelation 19 says that Literally in heaven, we're going to sit at a table, Jesus at the head, in the presence of Satan, sin, and all the enemies, and there's going to be this victory celebration. The best is yet to come. That tells me a couple things. First, it tells me there's hope and there's perspective. Some of you are sitting here in this room right now and right now there's things being added to the soup of your life and you're like, I never would have written it that way. It doesn't feel good. It creates questions. And yet, I'm following Jesus as my shepherd. And can I just tell you this, that God's good and he's working good for you, but it doesn't feel good. It doesn't look good. And his goodness is chasing you this morning. It's trailing you. Others of you this morning, maybe what you need to hear is that as you follow the shepherd who loves you, that his love is chasing you, it's pursuing you. And this morning, you can stop trying to chase his love, try to get him to notice you and love you and realize I'm loved by him. 
it will rearrange the way you live your life. But if heaven is our home, now listen close. If heaven is our home and we're just tent camping here, that means this, that I'm gonna do everything I can to take with me to my home what I can take with me. And if I read my Bible right, there's only one thing I can take with me. And that's other people who've not heard the good news of Jesus. It's interesting. One of the young men that got baptized, he's in our young adult group that meets on Sunday nights. He came to my house so we could talk about what would happen today. We had a great talk. I've known Blake for some time. He's a Marine. He came to me and in all honesty, he said, you know, Pastor Dan, he said, I don't know that I'm ready to get baptized. I said, why? He said, I'm I'm not a perfect Christian. He said, I I feel like I need to be a better Christian to get baptized. I'm like, that's a good question. I get asked that a lot. So I asked him a question and here was my question. I said, hey, Blake, when did you become a Marine? He told me the date. I said, Blake, when did they give you your uniform? Well, they gave him his uniform a couple weeks later. They made this march, and then they marched back wearing their uniforms. He became a Marine on this day, and on this day, everybody knew he was a Marine because he was wearing the uniform. Then I asked him this question. I said, hey, Blake, when did you become the perfect Marine? He looked at me, and he said, sir, I'm still striving to be that Marine. I said, listen to me, Blake, October of 2015, you heard him in the video. You said yes to Jesus, part of the family of Christ, forgiven, seat at the table, heaven's your home. August 20th, 2017, you got baptized, you put the uniform on, and you spend the rest of your life striving to follow the shepherd. There's going to be some days that are easier than others, some days that are good, some days that are struggles. Then I ask him this question. I said, don't you Marines have a saying? He said, sir, which one? (laughs) I said, I started it. I started it and he finished it. I said, no friend or no man left behind. And I said, listen, Blake, do you believe the gospel? He said, I do. Do you have lots of friends? He said, I do. Then here's the deal. Jesus didn't just save you from your sin. He saved you for a purpose. This day you became a follower of Christ. Today, you put the uniform on. You spend the rest of your life striving to follow your shepherd. And what if the friends in your life who don't know Jesus became your mission? No friend left behind. At the risk of sounding overly dramatic, I can only tell you the events that transpired after that. He looked at me and he said, sir, that makes sense to me. He calls me sir a lot. He left my porch around 8 o'clock and around 8.45 my phone rang where I received a phone call about one of his friends who had been killed in an automobile accident. Within a matter of days, Blake found himself in this auditorium where we had a thousand people walk through here for a viewing and he was surrounded by his friends who don't know Jesus. The best is yet to come. And that doesn't mean we sit back in our rocking chairs and just wait for heaven. 
But for those of us who've trusted Christ, we've been saved from our sin for a purpose. No friend left behind. And so, Father, as the band makes their way out and we finish with a song, I pray that you'd lean into us however you see fit. And you might be sitting there this morning, and I'm just going to ask you to keep your heads bowed, even if you don't feel comfortable closing your eyes. Just get in a space where you can think about you without distraction. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, you know, the Lord isn't my shepherd because I've never made him my savior. I've never said yes to Jesus, and you can do that right there in your seat. Why not today? Why not today say, I'm a sheep. I'm somebody who's messed up. I believe Jesus came and died on the cross for my sin in my place. Most important thing you'll ever do in your life, I believe. If you had that conversation with God this morning, I'd love to hear from you. There's some of you sitting here that you've said yes to Jesus. And if you're just honest, if you're just honest, things are tough right now. And and putting Band-Aid Bible verses over them isn't helping I think God knows that actually (laughs) yet the truth is God is good and his goodness is following you, is chasing you and he causes all things, even that thing whatever that thing is that you're walking through to work for the good and maybe it'll happen in 13 weeks maybe 13 months, maybe 13 years I don't know maybe it's longer but the only way I can have that confidence is if I have confidence that that God is good Some of you are so religious and gone to church all your life, but there's something missing and there's a guilt that just keeps stirring and you're just never sure how God feels about you. And this morning, the big takeaway for you is this. His love's chasing you. Some of you have messed up and you've been running from God and he's like, would you stop so my love can wrap its arms around you? Would you just confess and call it what it is and stop running? This morning, my guess is that in this room, there's a whole bunch of us that have people in our life who've not said yes to Jesus. And the big takeaway is that he saves us from our sin, which we're all glad about, but he saves us for a purpose. And this morning, his purpose is is that we would tell as many people about the good news of Jesus as we possibly can. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to live in such a way that Jesus would begin to make sense in our friends' family's life.